all month about preparing for the harvest. Uh, On the first Sunday of the month, we talked about where do we go, the world harvest, reaching around the world. How do we get there? How, how How do we go? And then on the 8th, we talked about our community harvest. We talked about reaching our, our, our community. We talked about the, the woman with, uh, at the well, and we talked about come see a man. Come and see what this man really is. Come and see how he's blessed. Come and see how he can change your life. Uh, the 15th, we talked about our family harvest, and we talked about giving God what was in our hand talked about the, the feeding of the 5,000 and how the, the young boy came and he gave the little he had and God gave back to him provision for his family. And we talked about if we're going to reach our family, we do that by giving our ability wherever we can give it. And God will take care of our family. And then last Sunday, of course, we had Sister Mindy and Brother Jim and, and Sister Mindy preached a wonderful message on who's the 5,000. Who's the crowd? And, and, and it was amazing how those two sermons came together. And, and, and so today we're going to continue this. And today I'm going to be talking about my harvest. Or to put it in your terms, your harvest. I got news for you. My harvest and your harvest aren't necessarily the same harvest. You have a, you have a field that I don't have. We may overlap in some places, we may work together in some places, but we're not always the same place. I want you to open your Bibles with me today. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse number 35. This is our our text for the month, and uh, let me get to the right one here. And here's what it says, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would be with me today, Lord. Allow me to walk in your victory. Allow me to walk uh, uh, in, in your word. Lord, let me share what you've put in my heart today in a way that they can take it and run with it. Lord, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I read this core text, I began to notice that it says here that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. If we begin to talk about the harvest, we can't reach, I can't reach my field unless I have compassion. Unless I understand that the people that God has put into my life, he has put into my life because they need help. But I got news for you, you cannot reach the people in your field until you have compassion. 
Until you, until you begin to look at the people around you through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Until you begin to look at the people around you through the eyes of the love and the mercy of Jesus. You will have no power. You will have no strength. You will not be able to get to the place that you start saying, oh, wow, there's a harvest. The difference in understanding that there is a harvest field out there and complaint is compassion. You see, when we have compassion, we look out and we see the hurts and we see the pains and we see the sin and we see the sorrow, but we understand that God has given us an answer to that. But if we don't want to live in compassion, we tend to live in complaint. Where we look out and we see the hurt and we see the pain and we see the sin and we see the dishonesty. And instead of worrying about them and have compassion for them and understanding God has given us an answer for them, we say, I don't know what their problem is. They need to get it right. The reason churches are dying in numerous Numbers is because too many churches look at their communities with criticism and complaint rather than compassion and care. Until we begin to understand that our field has been put in our life for us to touch. He finishes this passage By saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send more workers into his fields. Here's what he's telling us. That field that you see, full of pain, full of hurt, full of sorrow, full of of, uh, uh, sin and anger and all the things that we look at, that's not just your field. It's his field. And if we will pray, he will send more workers doesn't just say that he will send workers. says more workers. You know what that means? That means that he's going to send somebody to work beside you. Not under you, not over you, but beside you. If we want to reach our field, if we want to reach those around us, we have to, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we got to get our hands dirty. We need to be callous, not in our feeling, but calloused in our hands as we have our hand to the plow and we are working in the harvest. We can't win a harvest sitting on a chair. We can't win a harvest listening to somebody preach. I'm going to tell you if I could preach better than anybody else. If I had an ability to communicate the gospel as well as anybody around, it would do no good if all we do is listen to the preaching. We're never going to grow. We're never going to reach our harvest. We're never going to reach the loss of Chillicothe until we quit listening to sermons and we start living sermons. Can I tell you that I get angry? 
Can I tell you that I get mad when I walk out of a church on Sunday morning and and two or three or ten or twenty people come up and go, that was a great message, Pastor. But then I watch their lives and they don't do a thing I talked about. You tell me that I preached a good sermon and we like it when you step on our toes, but yet you never get up to do any work? It's like all you want to do is have somebody dance on your feet? God said it's time to quit letting other people dance on your feet and get up and dance on your own feet. It's time that we start going out and doing the work of the harvest. That's all introduction. I ain't even got to my sermon yet. So how are we supposed to reach our harvest, my harvest? I got to tell you this slide. When I began this series, the first of the month, I began to ask God. God began to show me the harvest field. And I began to search in our media files. And I came across this slide that I've used all month, this slide of wheat, barley. I'm assuming it's barley from this slide. And, and, and I began to look at it, and I thought, oh, that's it. But this slide was pre-made in there. And occasionally in our media that we use, what happens is other churches will build media, and they will load it up for anybody to use. Well, I've been able to use the background, but they had this slide. And when they had it, it said, this is my barley field. And I, First Chronicles 11, and so I, guess what I did? I got the Bible out and went to First Chronicles 11. And I began to read it first, and we're going to go to a part of it here in a few minutes. But at first, it, it talks about David becoming king. I'm going, what in the world are they talking about a barley field for? What in the world are they talking about? And then I find this passage of Scripture. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 12 through 14 says this. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Doia, the descendant of Ahoah. He was with David when the Philistines gathered for battle at Pasdamon and attacked the Israelites in the field full of barley. The Israelites, the Israelite army fled, but Eleazar and David held their ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord saved them by giving them a great victory. I began to understand that what they meant by my barley field is it was a place that Eleazar and David stood their ground. It was a place where Eleazar and David said, no, devil, you're not getting this. No, enemy, you're not getting this. See, I I think that one of our struggles is That we have not reached our harvest because we keep giving in to the enemy. 
We have not stood up yet and said, oh, no, 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 no. You think you can come, but this is my barley field. This is my harvest. This is where God has placed me, and I ain't letting you mess up what God has called me to do. See, some of us, we've given up our families. We've given up our communities, and we've even given up our churches. We've decided that it wasn't worth the fight. We've decided that the enemy was stronger than we were, and we just can't make it. When I was a little boy, probably fourth or fifth grade, probably fifth grade, I got in a shoving match one day. I know that never happens anymore. But I got in a shoving match one day with one of the really cool kids in school. And we decided that it was going to be one of those, I will meet you after school. And after school, we're going to fight. And in the midst of the shoving match, I was like, yeah, I'll fight you. Now, you got to remember, I wasn't the studly, awesome-looking man that you see before you today. I don't know why. Everybody laughs when I say stuff like that. But I really was scrawny. In those days, I weighed every bit of probably 60 pounds. I had, my neck looked like it belonged on a giraffe. Big old long neck. I had a giraffe neck and elephant ears. Man, I was a, I was a mix, man. I'm telling you, my neck was this long at birth and my ears were this big at birth. It, it, was, it was weird. You just got a picture of that, didn't you? I skin and bone. And in the midst of the pushing and shoving, I thought, yeah, we can fight at 3 o'clock. But at 2.45, there was no adrenaline flowing anymore. And instead, fear settled in. He's bigger than I am. Of course, dear Lord, my shadow was bigger than I was. He's he he he's been in more fights than I've been. He's gonna beat the daylights out of me. And I'll never forget what I did. Never I probably if we'd had the fight, I probably wouldn't remember it. But I remember what I did. Shamefully. I remember walking up to him at his locker. I called his name. You're bigger than me. I don't want to fight you. Can I tell you the truth? A tearful little fifth grader set his lot for a number of years because I went crying in the middle of the hallway and said, I can't do it. I'm not promoting fighting any young people, and I'm not saying you should fight. But I'm telling you something. It's time that we quit cowering in a corner saying we can't. You know what happened? Somewhere down the line, number one, I grew a little bit. And I got into high school. Dwayne? Dwayne's over going. 
Somewhere, I got into high school, and I don't know what clicked in my brain, but I realized that I had to overcome that crying little fifth grader. And I never forget, I got shoved into a corner again by somebody bigger than I was. But I made a different statement. And this was a statement I made. I said, you're bigger than I am, and you may beat the daylights out of me, but you'll know you're in a fight before it's over. Somewhere, I had to come to a place, no, this is my barley field. I'm not just going to cower down and cry and say I can't. No, I'm going to come up here. And you may think, you may win this fight. You may win this battle, but I'm going to come out on the other side. Now, why can't we do that spiritually? Why can't we stand up against the wiles of the devil, my daily butt today, that's actually going up at noon today? I've already recorded it. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and evil spirits in heavenly places. He says, listen, I know that it's not our people I'm fighting with, but I'm telling you, spirit, I'm coming at you with the armor of God. I'm not afraid. Oh, I may get beat up. I may go through a hard season. I may face some difficult trials, but when I come out, I'm going to come out mature and complete and lacking nothing because that's the promise of the Word of God. So how do we handle protecting our field? How do we handle protecting our field. In this story, David has become king. I encourage you to go back and read it. And he begins to talk about David's mighty men. He had 30 mighty men, and the 30 men were, they were tough dudes. They, they, mm, I mean, there's stories in the list of the 30. You know, one guy stood and slew 300 of the enemy. And he did, the Bible says he did a lot of mighty things, but he wasn't one of the three. There's one that says this guy was the ruler of the 30. He was the head of the 30, and he was powerful, and he was strong, but he wasn't one of the three. Because in the 30, there were three. There were three that were more powerful and more mighty, and they had stood by David in the good times and in the bad times. And now David has become king. And these three, uh, Jezebel, I believe I said that right, Eleazar that we're going to talk about today, and Shammah were the three mighty men. They were known for their military acts. They were the ones that David caught and David trained once when they were in a cave and they were pinned in and the enemy had them surrounded and it looked like there was no hope. David said, man, I wish I had a drink of water from the fountain over there. And they went through the battlefield, gathered water, and brought it back through the enemy troops, gave it to David, to which David threw it out and said, no, I can't drink that right now. Really? 
They had courage. They had desire. And David taught them importance. David was teaching them, look, just because you can don't mean you should. That's another sermon for another day. But just because you can don't mean you should. And these three mighty men are rising up. Eleazar is listed as the second of the three. He is mighty. He's listed with the mightiest leaders that David had. He's listed as important. He is the second of the three. He was mighty in power, commitment, and action. When people said Eleazar, everybody thought, ooh, that's one bad dude. He's strong. He's got strength and power and faith. He's committed to David. His power, his commitment, the actions that he takes... Stand for everything that is strong and powerful. Let me ask you. Can you be numbered as one of the mighty men or mighty women? Can you be listed here? Before we ever get to standing, we have to have something inside our heart that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is that a verse we quote or is it something we live by? I can do all things through Christ. Could you help us in the nursery? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. I can do all things through Christ. Could you come and pray for an hour next Sunday night in our person? Oh, no, no, I can't do that. I can do all things through Christ. Could you invite 10 people to come to church with you next Sunday? No, I, I, I couldn't do that. See, that's when we start quoting verses and not living verses. Some of you right now, in some of the things I've talked about, you've started building your excuses why you can't work in nursery, why you can't help with kids, why you can't come to prayer, why you can't invite people to church. I'm telling you, drop the excuses. If you're going to be a mighty person of God, you've got to stand in commitment. You've got to stand in power and action. We must strive to be mighty in our faith. Pastor, I don't know 10 people. Baloney. You know 10 people. You just don't have enough compassion for them to think they need to be in church. I would dare say just about everybody in this building knows 10 people that are not in church right now. I can tell you, if you know the people that normally come to our church, you know 10 people that aren't in church this morning. Yeah, Some of you don't even have to look outside your family. But you don't have enough compassion. Instead of having compassion and care for them, you're complaining because they won't come to church with you. Maybe you need to love them and say, hey, let me buy you breakfast. Let me buy you lunch. Bribe them. Yes, I said bribe them. Reach out. Quit telling God what you can't do. If we're going to be the mighty men and women of God, we got to quit saying what we can't do. Right. Too many want to just get by. 
too many people, they don't want to be listed with the mighty. There's too many people that they hear that phrase, oh, no, not me. I'm not a mighty one. I just want to get by. Long as I can get to heaven, give me a shack on the corner of glory. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my God-given life. Oh, just give me a shack on the corner of glory. You can have a shack if you want. I want the mansion God prepared for me. I don't want to get in by the skin of my chin, by the hair of my chinny chin chin. I want to walk in victorious. Not victorious because of me, but victorious because of God's power in my life. When John and, and, and David and Paul and Peter gather around and say, Oh, you lived in the last day's revival. What were you doing for God? I don't want to look at them and go, Well, I went to church. I was there when we got rid of wooden pews and we got padded ones. I like padded pews. I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people think music is what messed up the church. Ain't what messed up the church is padded pews. See, music... New music and old music all worship God. Patty Pews calls us to sit down and let somebody else entertain us. See, I got news for you, folks. We blaming the wrong stuff. See, it, 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 it's not the preaching. It's not the worship. It's the gluteus maximus. It's the backside. It's that we've become more comfortable sitting down than we have standing up and fighting. That's good enough for me. Let me tell you something. Every time you win somebody, the Lord, the Bible says you get a crown. Well, pastor, I I don't need to. I'm humble. You're not humble. You just said you were. My, My best thing is my humility. I I don't need all those crowns. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do with those crowns. When we get to heaven and we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we're going to take our crowns and we're going to throw them at his feet. I I made a decision years ago. I don't want to go empty-handed to the feet of God. I don't want to walk in there and say, God, I made it. I ain't got nothing to give you. I have nothing to worship you with. I have nothing to praise you with. But I'm here. Congratulations, God. You get to see me. Most arrogant thing in God's green earth is a Christian who doesn't reach other people. Somebody's going to say, Pastor, you keep preaching tough like that. Well, you start witnessing. Tell me I preach good and start living it. Get those crowns. We're going to throw them at his feet. I want as many crowns to lay at the feet of Christ as I can. I I, the, the, the most selfless thing I can do is get to heaven and have so many crowns on my head that I'm giving to Christ. He doesn't even recognize I'm there. That's how we become listed among the mighty. That's how we become listed among the mighty. I got to move. Whew. This is good preaching, folks. Whether you like it or not, this is good. Next thing I see, the crowd will always run. The Bible says, that the Philistines attack. Now, the Philistines is a picture of evil. 
Every time you see a Philistine enemy, it's about the world. It, it, it's about, it's about uh, 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 society. It's about societal evil. And, and the Philistines attacked the barley field. That's where they attacked Israel. Where did they attack? They attacked them where they eat. Let me tell you something. You want to know where the devil's going to attack you? He's going to attack you in the church. He's going to attack you where you feed. He's going to attack you where you feed. He, they attacked them in the harvest field. They attacked them in the place that they were given to reap in the harvest. The devil is going to attack us around those people that we're trying to reach. You, you don't believe that? Be in the process of witnessing to somebody and see if every time you're around them something doesn't go wrong. You never want to get mad and slap somebody until you with the people that you're trying to witness to. But the Bible says that the Israelite army fled. The crowd ran away. When the enemy attacks you, the crowd will run away. Let me tell you something. A lot of us want to be in the crowd. You want to know why some churches grow? There, there, there's, there's a thing called momentum. When stuff starts happening. And the crowd builds. The crowd brings a crowd. Because all of a sudden, number one, you can hide. Number two, you can say you go to that church and nobody really knows if you do or you don't. And all of a sudden, where do you go to church? Oh, I'll go over there. I didn't call a church name out. I go over there. Well, what that may mean is you go over there once every six weeks. You're not committed. You're part of the crowd. You flow in. You know what they tell us in church world now? We count people as regular attenders if they come once a month. One time a month. I remember where you weren't considered regular unless you came three times a month at least. And, and those were your fringe people, your real committed people. They were there every service three times a week. It wasn't how many times a month, it's how many times a week. Now we're told if you can get them there once a month, they're a regular person in your church. They're part baloney. They're part of the crowd. And when the devil attacks, the crowd runs. When the devil attacks, the crowd runs. It's popular to run. It's easier to run. We, we live in a society that tells us to run. Oh, oh, and don't stand up for yourself. You be quiet. We've told the church that we're supposed to be meek and meager. We've told the church that we're supposed to be quiet. You know what's wrong with our society right now? The church has been quiet. We have not stood up and said, this is my barley field. It's my country. I'm not letting the world take over my country. I'm not letting the enemy take over the politics. I'm going to 
I'm going to quit voting what the pocketbook says or what that news person says I should do. And I'm going to start voting by my morals. And I'm going to vote by faith. And I'm going to vote by what God has directed into my life. You don't hear me preach much about politics. I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who you vote for. You make sure you're voting morally. You make sure, quit voting your pocketbook. Quit voting what mom and daddy did and vote what faith says do. There's no trust in the power of God. Oh, I, I, I can't stand because God, I, I, I can't trust God to do this. I don't know how it's going to turn out. That's where your faith kicks in. Walk by faith and not by sight. When we quit trusting in his power, we start watering down our word. Mm. We're not going to offend you with anything we say today. See, this stuff makes me mad. Because we've, we've watered down the word of God because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. We're too busy trying to get the crowd to stay instead of trying to get the enemy to leave. We weaken our commitment. Oh, I'm committed to stand for God. But, you know, there are exceptions. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong unless you're doing what's wrong and I don't want to hurt your feelings. So it'll God will understand. Those are the worst words that ever attacked the church in America. God understands. Well, pastor, I don't pay my tithe because it's tight financially right now. God understands. Baloney. What God understands is you're disobedient. Well, Pastor, I don't make it to church all the time because I'm so busy and I need rest. God understands baloney. What God understands is you're not committed together and together with fellow believers. Okay, so maybe nobody will tell me I preach good today. I got news for you. When we quit trusting God's power, we water down our word and we weaken our commitment. It's easy to quit. It's easy to run. It's easy to say, I can't do it. It's easy to get in a pulpit and try to make people happy. It's easy to become a biblical preacher. According to Paul, writing to Timothy, in the last days there will be teachers that will teach to itch people's ears. Let me tell you something. If you haven't figured it out, I'm not trying to tickle yours today. I'm here to tell you, we have a harvest field, and the enemy is invading it. We've got a decision. Are we going to run off and not care about the people God has put in our life? Are we going to stand in compassion and care and say, Satan, you can't have my barley field. The crowd will run, but hold your ground. (laughs) The crowd's going to run, but stand. 
having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, girding your loins with the belt of truth, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Having done all to stand, stand. When everything else, when everything else is falling around, but hold your ground. I don't care what the devil's doing, but God is bigger than the devil. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let me tell you something. We must have faith in him. This is my barley field. This is my, this is my family. This is my city. This is my church. This is my state. This is my country. I will not give in. We have to fight for what is ours? Pastor, I've been fighting. I'm fighting hard. When was the last time you pushed a plate back? I said, no, 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 I'm going to fast. When was the last time you spent more than 10 minutes at a time in prayer that you wasn't telling God what to do? When was the last time that you began to walk around your house and anoint it? When was the last time you went and got you some anointing cloths and covered them in anointing oil and put them under the beds of your children? When was the last time that you started going out and said, okay, God, today I'm going to witness to three people. You show me who they are and you give me the words. I'm going to fight. This is my city. This is my barley field. We take what's given to us. We roll with the punches. And God says, hold your ground. Hold your ground. His power, his mercy, his grace. Hold your ground. Hold your ground. I know I'm running late. Let me move on. The Lord gave them a great victory. The victory doesn't come because of your strength. Understand everything I'm talking about. I'm talking about you standing. I'm talking about you fighting. I'm talking about standing your ground. I'm talking, but I'm not talking about you. Zechariah 4, 6, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, it, it's not because you're strong. It's not because you're powerful. It's not because you're all of a sudden all that. It's because God's spirit has been put in you. You have the strength and the power to stand your ground. The truth is when we stand, it is not us who wins. The battle is the Lord's. A couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, we, we were looking at, at one of the Psalms. I think it was Psalm 112. And it was a song that the priest sang. When, when uh, I won't say it was Hezekiah, went into battle. And the enemies had brought, come in around them and surrounded them. And, and the king had called them to a solemn assembly of prayer. God, what are we going to do? And God sent a word. And the word was, listen, get up. And go out, but you will not lift a sword in battle. You will not fight. The Lord will fight your battle. 
the word of God came to the king and to Israel, and it did not say, go sit in the house of God. Go sit in the temple, and I'll go fight for you. It didn't say, go sit in your houses and hide, and I'll go fight for you. It said, walk out to where the enemy is. Go stand your ground, but then stand still and see the power of God. Let me show you that I can fight for you. When we begin to understand that the battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's. When we begin to understand that those on whom we have compassion and care, it's not our responsibility nor job to fix their life. God does that. All we've got to do is serve as a conduit of God's power. we got to reach out to them in love and in care. we got to be compassionate. Pastor, you haven't been compassionate at all this morning because I'm trying to push you into service. But I'm going to tell you something. We need some men and women that will go out and find some messed up people, some hurting souls, some wounded hearts, and wrap our arms around them and say, God loves you, and so do I. You want to know what one of the biggest challenges to evangelism is in the modern American culture? The church. Oh, well, I used to go to church. But I had a pastor that preached too long and was too mean. I used to go to church. But I had a youth pastor that didn't use me in one of the dramas and made me mad. I used to go to church, but I had a pastor. And he just walked right by me and wouldn't shake my hand. I, I, I used to go to church. I'm giving Howard a hard time because I walked by him today. And he's like, hey, just walk by. I, I, I used to go to church. Yeah, I did it to you too, see. I, I, told, him it was, I told him I only shook hands with people that had hair. But... I used to go to church, but I had a pastor that teased me for being bald. I used to go to church. But people in the church were gossiping. You don't think people at Walmart are gossiping? You still go there. I used to go to church, but there was a guy in the church, and he had a drinking problem, and I just didn't think that should be right. Well, I got news for you. You show me a place that you go that there's not somebody that's got some kind of problem, and you go there anyway. When we start reaching out in compassion, and everybody says, I used to, you can, we can go up and we can say, listen, I can't always answer for everything what somebody else has done to you. But I know this, I love you, I love you, and I'm here for you. Whatever you need, I want to show you it can be different. I want to show you what true love is. You come to our church, somebody maybe talk about you. We, 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 we can't fix everybody. You come to our church and... The pastor may get busy and walk by you and not shake your hand. You, you, you come to our church, and our pastor may preach past 12. Once in a blue moon, he'll stop before 12. But let me show you 
that with all of our faults, there's at least going to be one person at church going to love you, and that's me. Quit telling everybody, everybody else in church is going to be okay. You just tell them you'll love them. You'll love them. Uh, I know i got to close. I look at Dwayne. I remember when J.B. and Dwayne first came to our church. Wasn't long after I got here. During the revival, yeah, during the first big revival. And they came in. And can I tell you what my first thought was? This is a good old boy. J.B.'s sort of hungry. She sort of wants, she, she wants to get in. And Dwayne just sort of going to follow her. I think I I don't think this has changed. I think he's a little afraid of her personally, but <laughs> yeah. I, I sort of I used to be afraid. I ain't afraid of her no more. She ain't here, I can say that. Uh he just sort of a follower. He came in and people started loving on him. And this just sort of follower all of a sudden starts committing. I remember the days that if J-Bay wasn't here, Dwayne wasn't here. Then all of a sudden, there's Dwayne anyway. J-Bay's working, J-Bay's sick, there's Dwayne. Seven years later, Dwayne's our church clerk. He's our youth leader. He, he's not a follower anymore. He's a leader. You know why? Because people loved him. People loved him. When we begin to reach out, we begin to love. The Lord gives us a great victory. When we reach people, it's not because we were good. I don't have knowledge that he's got. Wish I did. If I if I knew everything he knew, I could, everything he knew, I can't even talk. If I knew everything he knows, man, I could preach for three hours. Y'all are probably glad I'm dumb. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't have the. But you know what? I don't have to be like him. He's got his field. I've got my field. This man knows everybody in town. He's either bought a car off him or sold a car to everybody in town. Three times. And man, he's got, a, he's got a harvest field I'll never touch. People listen to him. They'll ignore me. They listen to him. When we begin to stand our ground and say, Satan, you can't have my family. You can't have my church. You can't have my city. You can't have my state. You can't have my country. You can't have this world. And we begin to, the Lord will give us a great victory. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to go out
into your field this week. And I want you to invite 10 people to come to church. Some of you are, oh, no, no, no. quit saying you can't and go do it. Invite 10 people. I don't care if you just run into them. I mean, it's easy. Go to Walmart, walk down there. Hey, you go to church anywhere? Why don't you go to church with me Sunday? I don't know you. That's okay. My name's Tommy. Now you know me. Come to church. Once you get there, you'll see me because I'm the preacher. (laughs) Find 10 people. I'm going to tell you, most of you ain't going to have to go to Walmart. Some of you, some of you can do it right in the family. I, I, I say this, uh, man, I look around this room, I think there's a few families. What if we just had a revival in just a few families? I say it all the time. What if we had a revival in the midget family? My word, have mercy. We, yeah, we'd have to have three. We'd have a midget service and a regular service. That sort of sounded weird, didn't it? Anyway, we, what, what if? What if we? Not quite as big as, well, what if we had a revival in the Jessen family? We could fill, out half, fill up half a session, section. What if, what if? What if we just started grabbing people? Family members, co-workers. I want you to find 10 people. Invite them to church. Now be prepared. You're not going to have 10 people come to church with you next week. But stand your ground. Maybe you'll get one. Maybe you'll have to invite those 10 people every week for the next 49 weeks. I just grabbed that number. We'll do 52 weeks every week for the next year. They may come to church just to get you quit asking them. But if we will start standing our ground and saying, Satan, this is my, this is my barley field. This is my barley field. You can't have what God has given me. God has given you a harvest. And you need to stand in your harvest. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your power, your majesty, your peace, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, give us compassion and care for our field. Lord, show us your mercy. Show us your grace. Lord, let us reach those around us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake hands. Be friendly.